Hello everyone and welcome to Ghost Turd Stories. I'm your host, Troy Gent. Ghost Turd Stories' mission is using humorous stories from veterans and first responders to reduce the burden of families whose veteran or first responder committed suicide. Ghost Turd Stories' vision is to use humor from veteran and first responder stories to prevent suicide within our ranks and reduce the burden of families whose veteran or first responder committed suicide. We hoped to attract veterans and first responders as well as those interested in knowing more about what it's like to be in our shoes while we wear or wore those shoes. Welcome to Ghost Herd Stories. This is Troy Gent, your host. Today I have my father as a guest. He's a veteran from the Vietnam era. He served in the National Guard. Welcome, Dad. Uh, how are you? Absolutely fantastic, Troy. Good to be here. My dad's name is Robert Gent. Dad, what uh, what units did you serve with when you were in the National Guard? I, actually, I went into the Army Reserve, and I wanted to go in the Marine Corps originally, but I had been out of high school for about three and a half years, had a year of college. I was in South America for two and a half years on a mission for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, got home, couldn't get in a Marine Corps unit in Portland, Oregon. I did want to go uh, full-time. I wanted a reserve unit, and I found a Army Reserve unit in Vancouver Army Barracks, and so I enlisted in the United States Army Reserve in uh, late spring of 1964, nearly 60 years ago. 60 years ago. What was your MOS? It was um, actually they put me as a clerk typist, which I hated, and so I <laughs> switched over in the guard to uh, armored cavalry. I was in armored cavalry units and in artillery. So you're, you were you were originally assigned as a clerk typist, but how long did it take for you to realize or to tell someone, hey, this ain't going to work for me. I got to... I got to switch. That was after I got out of basic training and advanced training. After basic training, they put me in a clerk typist in Fort Irwin, California, not very far from the uh, the Great Desert. There. Why? Why did? Why did they do that? Why? What did they see in you that said he's a clerk typist? Because I had pretty good English skills and I oh, had a okay. year of college. That's <laughs> okay. why. I could. Uh, chew gum and walk down the hall at the same time. <laughs> and I could spell my name, so they made me a clerk typist. That's something to be said about uh, joining the military is is um, some guys literally can't walk and chew gum at the same time. So I experienced that <laughs> when I was in basic training. What about that? What, what happened? In basic training, I, we were, I was at Fort Ord, California, we had over 100,000 troops. It was one of the largest training areas in the United States. And uh, irregardless whether you were in the National Guard or Army Reserve, you're in a regular Army unit. And our company, Company A, had about 100, 150 regular Army unit members in basic training. We had about 100 National Guard troops from Idaho, of all places, 
And then there were several of us that were Army Reserve in that unit. It was uh, a different world at that time, pre-Vietnam. And the idea was that uh, if you got in trouble or didn't graduate from high school and got in trouble with the law, um, they gave you a choice often. Do you want to go in the Army or do you uh, want to go to jail? And they cleaned up a lot of the military after Vietnam. But that was, I was in a unit of individuals that a lot of them had gotten in trouble with the law. And today they wouldn't even qualify for the United States military. Today only about two out of every 10 qualify to even be inducted into the military. At that time, if you could chew gum, walk down the hall at the same time and spell your name, they let you in the military, so it was it was crazy. I was in a company unit with some crazy people. And I don't need to, to demean the military in any ways, but I'd had a year of college. I'd been in South America for two and a half years, and there I was in the United States Army in Fort Ord, California, with a bunch of National Guard troops from Idaho. Most of them were from Idaho and regular army units. And like I said, some of those individuals had a choice, either go to jail or go in the army. And Vietnam was heating up and so they said, oh, I'll go in the army. That gives you a bit of background on, <laughs> on the unit. There was some crazy things that went on there. And- uh, What would you say in, in boot camp, or, uh, sorry, um, basic training, uh, I know that you got real sick in basic training, but what uh, what's some of the things that happened in basic training that that maybe uh, either got you to laugh or you thought this was crazy? I'm a very very serious minded person. I'm highly competitive, like my son Troy, and yet I'm always in for a good laugh. And I don't mean to demean anybody, but some of the things that happened to me, you can't hardly help but laughing and. After they lined the troops up, and of course, then they would call their names, and the regular army cadre, a lot of those had served in World War II and had been in Korea. So, you know, they're in their 40s, and uh, they had been in combat situations. And there, there they were with a bunch of recruits that uh, weren't highly respected. NGs, they referred to them as no goods. And even Jody Cadence, when we would march, they would say, GI bones and GI gravy, RAE, all the way, RAE, all the way. And then, as we would march, that Jody Cadence, GI bones and GI gravy, NG, no good, NG, no good. Well, how would that make you feel? If you were in the army unit, regular army unit, and they were saying you were no good, well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that some of them uh, <laughs> acted about the way that they were treated. But some of the things that happened made me wonder about how they even got into the National Guard, and I can tell you about those if you're interested. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to hear them. Well, <clears throat> first off. They would line up at Fort Ord, California, and we had this first sergeant I had little respect for. I forgot his name. I wanted to forget his name. I wanted to forget who he was. Uh, 
but he was the most dirty mouth individual that I'd ever been around. And there we were, 5.30 in the morning, company formation, and he would start cussing us out. You worthless, et cetera, et cetera, you worthless, and then drop F-bombs, you worthless, no good. <laughs> and I would sit there, and I just spent two and a half years in South America for an LDS mission for my church talking about the things of God. And there I was at attention. Needed a, he needed a filthy filter. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and I'll just call him Sergeant Dirty Mouth. And he'd been in Vietnam, but I had little respect for him. But I had tremendous respect for my uh, platoon sergeant who'd been in Burma in World War II. Great man. I would, I would have uh, gone to battle with him. And so there we were in formation, and our initial formations, they would call out names. And some of those, uh, that first sergeant had trouble, you know, with the names. And we had this, uh, some of those individuals, I thought, well, how in the world did they even get in any military organization? They looked like they were pretty out of shape to me. And of course, I was about 23, and they were 17, 18 years old, and they guard units and we had this one fellow and, and he was also overweight and yet he was able to line up in formation and so those training sergeants would do anything to be demeaning and try to get you to in the marine corps they call them fat bodies yeah well <laughs> what happened to him is he had to weigh 300 pounds and and uh he said his name was sort Private George or Georgie or something, I forget exactly. But anyway, right off the bat, they said, say, fat boy. He was private fat boy. And so, private fat boy. Yes, Sergeant. Yes, Sergeant. Private fat boy. Yes, Sergeant. There was about 300 of us been there. Well, what's going on? What's going on? Drop down and give me five. Drop down and give me five. Yes, Sergeant. Yes, Sergeant. He dropped down, and <laughs> there was no way. There was no way he was going to give him five, give him four, give him three, give him two. He couldn't even give him one. <laughs> Private fat boy, give me one. He would grunt and roll around, and all of us are sitting there, sort of serious, you know, feeling sorry for him. And then he says, hey, hey, you troopers, get down and pick the fat boy up, okay? <laughs> they picked the fat boy up. They knew that he wasn't gonna make it. He says, fat boy, follow the back of the back of the company. And he was through. And after that, we had regular training and, and private fat boy was out there doing the sprinklers until they got him out. We, we thought he was pretty fortunate. Maybe we should act like that so we didn't have to go through the regular training. <laughs> so Private Fat Boy made it for two weeks before they sent him home back to Idaho. Now that was one of our introductions. The other was this, they do anything they could to demean the last names of people. And we had this one private, this Newt's, Newt's Nowski, Newt's Nowski, I think. I still remember his name. Someone like Newt's Nowski. And 
And the first sergeant had trouble. He says, Private Newts. They would call out the name Private Newts. <laughs> Newts now. Private No Nuts. <laughs> we couldn't help. We all broke up. Says, Private No Nuts. <laughs> I says, he says, he says, he was a, I don't mean to demean the National Guard no, from Idaho. It's so, it happens in the Marines, too. It's just, there they were. It's so, just so common. And so this like guy, Private No Nuts, and so, of course, he was just shaken. You know, he says, yes, 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 Sergeant, Sergeant. He says, you are Private No Nuts. Yes, Sergeant. So we'd go through training, and he did pretty good. He'd stick with us and this and that. And then we finally got to, to rifle training. We didn't train on the M16. We trained on the M14 at the Fort Ord. Great training. And uh, brag a little bit, you know, they had on the firing range at 50 meters to 300 meters, and it was open sights. And I got pretty good. I, I qualified as expert. But uh, anyway, leading up to that, they gave a little bit of background on how easy it was to fire an M14. And they had blanks in it. And so, so there we were before we got on the firing line. And uh, we were all there, 300 sitting in bleachers. And then right off the bat, you know, the training sergeant of said, uh, well, we want to tell you gentlemen that there's no danger whatsoever. There's no kick to these M14s. They're harmless. You just have to put them up your shoulder and, and, and uh, squeeze the trigger and take a deep breath and squeeze the trigger. And they had blanks in them. And of course, the blanks, they would recoil the same as a, as a regular bullet. And so they went through some training and then all of a sudden, the first sergeant had cued the training sergeants in on private no-nuts. And so there we were, 300, and all of a sudden it says, private no-nuts, get up here. Private no-nuts, get up here. Us. Oh no, what are they gonna do now? So he pulls out there and he says, what's your name? He says, my name is Private Nutskowski. Oh, okay, okay, no-nuts. Uh, I want you to put this M14 up your shoulders and just pull the trigger. And he did, you know, kabang! Did that hurt? Oh no, that was that was great. Okay, no nuts. Put it down towards your uh, your stomach. No, and he had a blank in it. Squeeze the trigger. Kabang! That's great. So he, he put it down like a, a hip shot. Put the buttstock on his hip yeah. and pulled the trigger. Yeah. Okay. Then he says, pull it a little close to your groin there, private no-nuts. And so they had this all set up in front of 300 men. And so it's okay, right down in next to your groin there. And so he says, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. He squeezed away and then go bang, go bang. I said, did that hurt? No, that was right. But oh, look at this, look at this, oh. And so that training sergeant put his hands down, had three or four marbles in his hands underneath his gonads, and he says, look at this. Why, what's that? He says, well, I don't know. He said, private notice. 
<laughs> they said you're nuts. <laughs> I mean, you got now, but I'm serious, but we said, oh, laughs. No nuts, these are your nuts. And he says, okay, private no nuts. <laughs> what are you going to do now? <laughs> and he said, I can have sex and I don't need to worry about it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it went from there, you know. And then, and then, and then Private Nozmalski, they were always pulling them out. So finally, we went through the, the tear gas chamber and he made it. We went through the in the chlorine chamber, in the chlorine chamber, you have a gas mask on. You keep your gas mask on. You have to go in, take the gas mask off, but you get a good breath of fresh air because you have to cite your, state your name, rank, and serial number. Me was Private Gen ER19803156. You don't take a breath. And poor Nuswowski, you know, he took a breath, they had to pull him out and beat on his chest. Hey, but bless his heart, he, he made it. And then we had had the machine gun test. You know, we had to crawl under wire at night and machine guns were firing live rounds over the over us. And we had Bob Wire and Constantino, we had to crawl through that, you know, at night. They said it was live rounds as M60 machine guns. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but that's what they told us is get your butt up in the air, what's gonna happen? Some guy says, well, you get your butt shot off. That's right, trooper, you'll get your butt shot off. <laughs> so keep your butt down. Well, I had no trouble, you know, I was pretty athletic, I was about 23. And we were all going all the way through, all 300 of us, you know, da 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 ba 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 Then they hit us with tear gas, made, through, made it all through, and had to mask up. So we all sit up, and it was dark at night, you know, and they had few lights on. So they call us all out to make sure we're all there, you know, out of 300. So they call everyone, okay, private, <laughs> private no nuts or numb nuts or whatever his name was. And he wasn't there. Where in the world's private no nuts at? And so they had to turn the lights on. <laughs> it's rather sad. They turned the lights on. <laughs> there he was right in the middle of the Constantina wire, right in the middle of everything. <laughs> they had to go out and pull him out. <laughs> well, but, <laughs> I just, and then they, st they stood him in front of all of us. And they just, what happened? <laughs> what happened, Private No Dust? <laughs> And he wet his pants. <laughs> and the poor guy says, what happened, Private No Nuts? He says, I guess I wet my pants. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't know we were all laughing, you know. But but then, but we made it through. And I guess he made it too, but I tell you, it was, it was rather, rather embarrassing, that whole situation. And then I made it through, you know, my training was those six months of their training. And then I graduated from college, but I was still 
in the Army Reserve, but when I moved back to Oregon and got a job, I was in that no name, no good, National Guard Oregon. <laughs> and honestly, Troy, it got worse <laughs> in Oregon. It was crazy. Well, it makes sense because in, in basic training, you have a, a structured environment where they they only let you screw up to a certain like there's barriers on each side so they can't really but once you get in a unit there's a lot more flexibility for people to do stupid things because they have so much more agency so it makes sense that it would get worse but yeah and it was pre-vietnam and i went i was in for six or seven six years then i was out and i went back in after vietnam in the 80s and they cleaned it up they had to clean it up in the National Guard. And so when did you get out the first time? I got out in 71, and then so I we went were back in. for, in. that was seven years, or yeah, six years? Yeah, and okay. then I went back in, in 80, uh, 79 or 80, went back in 80 or 81. Okay, and, and then uh, you did what, four more yeah, or six yeah, more? It was six years. Six more. And it was the National Guard unit. And I was not only in the Oregon National Guard, but I switched jobs in, to Utah. Utah. Yeah. I was in the Utah National Guard. I was the was the one forty artillery. Yeah. yeah, with artillery, but in that Oregon National Guard was crazy what went on, and uh, people, you know, we had two days a week, two days a month, and then we had two weeks in summer camp, and people just took advantage of that, and there were some things that happened there that were absolutely crazy. One of the situations was we get in big touring buses and leave from the Dallas, Oregon in, in the evening, and then they we would go to um, uh, Boise, Idaho, and uh, the unit there, we were trained outside of Boise in, the, in Gowan Field, and it was desert all the way from high, uh, Freeway 84 all the way to the Snake River, big training area. And I remember some of that training area, there were some crazy things that went on there. One of the crazy things was that uh, we uh, were in an armored cavalry unit. And so a lot of times at night, we would have night maneuvers. And uh, I was in scouts, and, and the scouts were in jeeps. And of course, a lot of times we were wired between two M60 tanks. And you had to be careful because you just had your night lights. And those big M60s, I mean, they'll crush a Jeep, you know, and so you're fairly alert, and we had blanks and simulated combat situations, and I'll never forget one situation. We had this platoon sergeant, and we just not, did not have respect for him. I don't know what he did on the outside, but he was out of control, and he was an E5, but he would do anything because he wanted to jump to an E6, and so he would give his platoon all these dirty details so that we'd have to pick up garbage and do this and that so we could he'd volunteer volunteer his man yeah, a lot yeah he would volunteer okay. us and he would sit in his jeep and drink beer or else he would smoke cigarettes you know and and uh i think his name was sergeant smart smarts and we detested him i mean i didn't want to even have around him and of course I'm a pretty negative, I'm a pretty positive person, but there were some other people in that unit that they actually hated him. And they just waited to see things set up. And I remember when we were on maneuvers one night, and that was after some of these units we had, and 
he'd volunteered us to do the work and he'd sit drinking beer and and smoking cigarettes. So they'd let they'd let him have beer out in the field back then. They, they would. It was crazy. That okay. was pre-Vietnam. Yeah. Warm beer out in the in the field and drinking and crazy. <laughs> and this is National Guard unit. And so anyway, uh, we'd have to round up about two o'clock in the morning. And of course, you've been in all day long. It was hot, and then you had blanks. You had to clear your weapons, and they they set him up and with Sergeant Smart, you know, and we call him Sergeant Smart Ass. And so anyway, <laughs> behind his back. So anyway, he, we were all lined up there and says, weapon clear. And of course you have to click, click, you know, you've taken the blanks out, click, 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 click. We set him up and no one knew where anyone was at because it was dark and I mean half asleep and he would put his head down and, and uh, clear weapon, click, click. So he'd be, he was looking down into the weapon. Like in the barrel or into the chamber? Into the chamber. Into the chamber, okay. Yeah, he would look into the chamber, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. We'd been on all day long. We were half tired. He was half asleep. And a fellow trooper left his blanket on purpose, so he put his head <laughs> down to the chamber. Clear weapon. Gabang! At 2.30 in the morning. And it just fire everywhere, you know. And he's at... Who did that? 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 You know, who did that? You know, no one was going to say anything when there's about 30 of us lined up and someone bounced around. He said, Give me the name of that person. Give me the name of that person. I want him. I want him. No one said anything. And so we got back at him a little bit that way. And then the next day they gave us some more dirt, but that was <laughs> all right. And so that next day, and then we had like half a day off. Out of the field, it was 50 miles back into the barracks there at Gowan Field and uh, regular barracks because we were in tents and it was rough and it was hot. And uh, my lips were really bothering me. So I got permission to go back in on a run back in because we, we, we had a, a break for, uh, for about six or eight hours. They, what were they taking back in on a, a troop transport or a bus? Or? We went we went on, on a, a deuce and a half. Deuce and a half. Deuce now is a pretty good sized truck. So I went in and got that. And so a lot of people took advantage of that. And they were drinking back in the barracks. And some of them, they'd been, we came out and in some way they would have been in the barracks. And so they were drunk. And so we were in the back of that Deuce Naf driving back out to the uh, unit. And this was about 1968. So I was still National Guard, Oregon National Guard. And so on the way about, and of course you drink a lot of beer, what happens is you got to urinate, you know. And so they were still hang hung over, you know, and I was sitting back in the bus, back of that deuce nav watching them. And so the guy says, hey, I got to take, take a piss. And I and the guy says, yeah, yeah. And, and these, these were, one of them was an E5, another one was an E4, you know, and, and E4 and some, some E3s. And so they were urinating out of the, the back of the deuce and a half. Well, there's a a jeep in back of us, you know, pulled up the really coast, you know, and that was, some, and and the guy says, "Hey, I'm gonna piss on that jeep, you know." <laughs> so and he had quite a bit of urine, so he did, you know, and he urinated and it landed on the back of the the jeep, you know, and they put his windshield wipers on and look, everyone's having fun, you know, and back. <laughs> what they didn't realize. 
that was a battalion commander in that jeep, you know. And that was all right, you know. And he was like, well, the boys will probably have some fun, you know. And, you know, and, and so anyway, they were kept at it. And we got back in the bus and he'd back there, you know, and until they were, I could what look. And, and the, the driver and the battalion commander, and I didn't know it was the battalion commander at the time, and they were all laughing, you know. And, and so anyway, we had some bedding in the back. We had some... Um, <laughs> mattresses in the back and so those guys in there still hung over and says hey I wonder what it'd be like to throw this mattress in that jeep <laughs> and he took the mattress out and he threw the mattress over the jeep <laughs> and it wrapped around the windshield of the jeep and the battalion commander of the jeep driver went off the road <laughs> it was hilarious you know and they didn't know that it was a battalion commander. And he pulled back on and got that off, and he came over and honked his horn and pulled us over. And we had to jump out of that jeep, you know, and they went through, and he knew who had did it. That was welcome to the National Guard. I've been using Isogenics since 2017. These products have made a world of difference in my quality of life, health, energy, muscle definition, strength, and endurance. My bread and butter products have been the Daily Essential Multivitamins with Isogenesis, which is a telomere support supplement, the Isolane Meal Replacement Shake, the Tri-Release Protein Shake, the Collagen, the Green Drink, and the Cleanse for Life Support System. However, Isogenics has many products and can cater to your unique lifestyle and goals. Click the link in the show notes or visit nmp.isagenics.com. That's nmp.isagenix.com to find out more. Besides just using the products, there is an option to partner with me and the company to build your own business with no capital up front. You can do as little as pay for your products and as much as making a full-time income. I love these products and will use them the rest of my life. You can also message me if you have any questions. Backing up a little bit to basic training is that that platoon sergeant, excuse me, that first sergeant in Fort Ord, California, uh, for some reason, I felt he didn't like me. I'm highly competitive. Anytime we would have any competition at all, I always tried to finish towards the top of the group, you know, races, and there's a lot of competition in basic training. And uh, he'd always say, Jen, you think you're better than us? I says, no, Sergeant, no, Sergeant, no excuse, Sergeant. You know, and then, and then something else had happened. And we were on train fire one day at Fort Ord, beautiful there, and train fire then during lunch hour, they'd bring lunch in in, in our, we'd have our mess kits, pick it up, and uh, I just trying to post, trying to post to sit on, and there's a lot of dust and dirt, you know, and I had, I was sitting in that post and eating, and the first sergeant, I was separated a little bit from the other members of the company, and of course the language is pretty coarse, and maybe that was part of it, but I wanted something against my back. And I was sitting there, and he says, Jen, 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 in front of the whole company. You know, and everyone was attention was looking over at me, and I says, and I was sitting there, I knew if I, 
if I, 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 I got up with my mess kit, I was eating, trying to eat lunch, and we didn't have a lot of time, and I knew that if I ran fast, I'd stir up a little bit of dust, and that would upset it, you know, so I just walked fast, and uh, he called me out, and he was liking the attention he was getting, and that was uh, Lieutenant Badmouth, or whatever his name was, he says, <laughs> and he came right up to me, and, and nothing against Southern people, but he was a Southern, he spoke with a Southern accent, you all think you better not, son? He says, no, Sergeant, no, Sergeant, he says, Son, when I talk to you, I want you to run to me. Understand, son? Yes, Sergeant. Yes, Sergeant. Now, son. And he said it real loud, and the whole company was watching. Gent, you go back there at that post. Yes, Sergeant. And you crawl to me. You crawl to me. And there I was in a six inches of dust. I was trying to eat lunch and I crawled to that company you know commander you know then I stood electrician son when I talk to you you always crawl to me yes sergeant it happened to be that they had the first sergeant yeah he was the first sergeant sergeant. yeah first sergeant and then they had tryouts for at Fort Ord we had a thousand troops there we had a hundred thousand troops, and for the battalion track team, well, I tried out and I made it, and I was on the mile relay team with four outstanding black athletes, or three outstanding. I was the the white boy on the team, and we won the, the battalion championship. So we qualified to go for the four championships. We could have probably won it. We were really good. We we're a mile relay team, and. I'd done nothing wrong. And the day we were supposed to go, and that first sergeant says, Jen, you're not going, son. You're not going, son. You're not going to argue with him during boot camp. And so anyway, I didn't get a chance to go. And and then afterwards, the lieutenant that was head of the uh, battalion track team saw me and said, what happened, Jen? I says, well... And he just shook his head, but that's the way it was during boot camp. I don't know if you have any other questions, Troy. It's amazing how, uh, I mean, those first sergeants and gunnery sergeants, they're salty and they have a lot of years and they have a lot of of influence over those company commanders and platoon commanders for sure. So, I mean, I can remember I was a, a boot lieutenant and, I mean... I kind of just looked up to the first sergeants and the and the gunnery sergeants because they had so much more time and time and service than me that I I was almost a little bit intimidated by them. But uh, yeah, there's a, a delicate balance there between officers and enlisted. So yeah. another situation with the Oregon National Guard is that uh, we had this um, company commander. And uh, nothing about being small or tall or short or white or whatever, but he was rather short, and he was very controlling. In one of our summer camps, and w- he, we did not have his respect at all. He had always threatened us. He said, "You do this, or you do that, or you're going to be, you're not going to have this, or you're not going to have that." And so he lost our respect right off. 
And so when we were headed to um, summer camp one time in Rand, Oregon, and we had were in a, a um, armory there, we had to stay overnight on our way over, and and of course people have to stay in sleeping bags, and <laughs> I'll never forget this. He he was in the group, and of course we're just sleeping bagged all over the armory, and he got in that armor, and people were waiting to get back at him, and they pulled a fire extinguisher off the wall, and he <laughs> crawled in there, and he stuck that after dark. They stuck the fire extinguisher in, <laughs> turned the fire extinguisher on. <laughs> and before he could get out of the sleeping bag, this all filled with foam, you know, just, who did that, who did that, you know? <laughs> No one said anything because we all did it. There was no respect. And what could he do? Because he didn't know. Uh -huh. And so we we had this three-quarter ton pickup. He'd gotten that three-quarter ton pickup. And he locked all the stores. In <laughs> <laughs> some way, he made it through. And we made it through two, two weeks. But I tell you, after that, uh, he was a little bit more positive, positive with us. I think that he <laughs> he learned. You don't do that. You're going to get suffer. You suffer the consequences. Yeah, yeah suffer, I think suffer uh, the consequences. You know, my experience is if you have a an officer that's doesn't love his men the way that he should, yeah. uh, eventually it uh, comes back to bite him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that troops that I trained. I I was a training NCO at uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, in one of my summer camps. And we, I trained. I was attached to a regular army unit. I was uh, a training NCO. And uh, one thing I learned, you know, we, troops headed to Vietnam, and eighteen thousand didn't didn't come didn't come home. And some of those troops, I have nothing but respect for people that ended up Vietnam and paid the ultimate price. And uh, you know, war is hell. War is the epitome of dark satanic influences, and but there is a God in heaven, and I'll tell you if it's our, not our time to go. And I've talked with other individuals that survived uh, combat situations that there's a God in heaven that can protect all of us, and that I know, and that that source is available to all of us even now, as we're going through some troubled times in America, and so. Sure. Have nothing but respect for those that put their life on the line, and some of them are six feet under the grass right now. Yeah. What? Uh, why didn't your unit get called up to Vietnam when you were in the? Excuse me. So you were in the Ar uh, the Oregon National Guard uh, in the sixties. Yeah, and they didn't call. Actually, in Vietnam, they didn't call National Guard units up. They did that in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and yeah, Afghanistan. That's interesting. You know. Sadly enough, the joke was they would call up the women and the children before they would call up the National Guard. And, and that's what they told us. And after what I went through with National Guard troops, to some degree, not to say there's not some outstanding people in the Guard, I was in an outstanding unit in, uh, in Utah, an artillery unit, and there were some great guardsmen in Oregon too. But... Uh, there's just a lot of tomfoolery going on there, and uh, it's, it's ra it was rather crazy. But like I said, 
after Vietnam in the 80s, and they, the recruiter said, you know, you need to go back in because this changed because I didn't want anything to do with it. And I was pretty impressed. Yes, no, there was drinking and yes and that, but at least they didn't pull a deuce and a half full of warm beer out into the <laughs> training area, you know, and so. Why didn't uh, you, so you were in for 12 years total. Why didn't you stay in for 20, eight more years after, go ahead. I would have, but I went through a divorce with Troy's mother after 22 years and I was remarried and I just listened to the impression within and with that marriage and the struggles I had in my previous marriage, I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. And and I and I was being recruited to by the uh, Utah National Guard to, and I only had eight more years, but I just knew it wasn't the right thing to do. And so I knew that I needed to do everything I could to make my second marriage a success. And yeah. so that, that was it, it was just being a hopefully a decent husband, Troy. Well, you've been a good father, so. Well, I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm still there. I appreciate all the time you've spent with me, Dad, and everything that you've done for me. And it means the world that you came on and decided to talk about some of your experiences, so. It works, works both ways, you know, with Troy. It's like, yes, he's my son, but now it's more like we're brothers and, and, uh, it's been a great journey being being Troy's coach and being his dad and, and still being close to him and getting to know his wife and, and his daughters. I just, uh, life doesn't get any better than that, Troy. Thanks a lot. You bet, Dad. I love you. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. Please tell your friends and family so that we can bring more joy and awareness to those struggling with suicide ideation and the families who desperately need help after the loss of someone they love to suicide.